Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast, hosted by Grant Cohen, CEO and founder of Bloom Growth Studio, a growth partner for B2B SaaS businesses. Today, we have a very exciting fellow New York-based uh, entrepreneur, Mark Josephson, founder and CEO of Cast Iron. Mark, how are you doing? I'm awesome. I'm having a great day. So excited awesome. to be here. Do you think that New York is the place to be an entrepreneur now, or do you think it's still uh, the entrepreneurship belt still resides in the Bay Area? Grant, I um, have been an entrepreneur in New York City for 25 years um, and been part of lots of really exciting and interesting startups. I don't think there's a better place to build a business than in New York City. And it's not just now. It's been that way for a long time. The center of the universe. It may not be the center of the tech universe, but it is the center of the universe. All um, industries come together here, unlike in the Bay Area. I do think like, you know, having lived in both places, there is a Bay Area gravity of entrepreneurs, you know, whether that's because there's the culture of that or the venture capital money that used to be very centralized on Sand Hill Road in Menlo Park. But I definitely find there's a different level of gravity in New York and it attracts, you know, a lot of people. I, I have this theory that everyone in New York is you know, has their own bent, maybe their own edge or chip on their shoulder. And even you could call it a little crazy, but I think it works. Um, well, but cool. Can yeah, I tell you, I, can, let me just tell you what I think and then what happened because yeah. I think I, I think a lot about this. I think um, creativity and entrepreneurship go hand in hand and creativity is aided by different perspectives and um, and different uh, ideas. The homogeneous nature of the Bay yeah. Area um, versus, uh, you know, every office that I've had in New York, we were the, probably the only tech company in the building. And mm-hmm. you have a finance, you have healthcare, you have retail, you have media, you have all different sorts of industries. And it's that collision of thought and ideas um, with access to capital um, that I think creates, makes New York really special. I like that idea a lot. And I also find that, you know, in the Bay Area, you're definitely in like a one industry town. Maybe not, it's not the only industry, but it's an industry town. In New York, to your point, you find a lot of those things bleeding over. Um, An example that I noticed early on in my time, just being in the startup scene in New York, is that, you know, there is the famous Mad Men, like Marketing Alley of New York. And I find that that bleeds into the tech companies where New York tech companies are more sensitive potentially to brand and aesthetic Mm -hmm. and have more robust teams built out in that regard with folks from, you know, illustrious marketing backgrounds in the traditional industry in New York as compared to the Bay Area, you know? So I think that's just a a perfect example of that. And maybe some of that cross-pollination you mentioned. Yeah, and look, retail, um, finance, uh, are the New York City is the center, um, the epicenter of that. So I think if, if you look at a lot of different categories and you get that um, that bleeding into. Cool. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, uh, by way of a segue, tell me about how maybe New York inspired Cast Iron or what really was the inspiration behind founding that business. And sure. give us a, a background on it in case that uh, by ways of expository. Sure. Uh, Cast Iron, we uh, build what's called a food business management platform, which is the only tool you need to run your business uh, if you're an independent um, food and beverage business owner, particularly for small businesses. Um, We wake up every day thinking about how to help millions of people live, achieve the freedom to live the life they want 
and the economic means to support it. Um, and this came out of the pandemic, actually, uh, during that couple of weeks where um, the supply chain was messed up and the store shelves were a little bare and people started ordering boxes of vegetables and sides of beef and like trying to figure out where the food was going to come from. Actually, we have um, one of my sons uh, has serious food allergies, so it became even more difficult. And I did a lot of Google searching and social media searching, and I found some people in my neighborhood who were making unbelievably delicious food from either their licensed home kitchen or a shared commercial commercial kitchen and selling on Instagram or Facebook with DM to order. And so I went down the rabbit hole and I found millions, literally millions of people around the world who were doing this. And I spent a ton of time with them and I saw how inefficient they were at running their business they get into this because they make the best kombucha or they have a passion for meal prep and healthy eating, or they, you know, are make the most ridiculous chocolate chip cookies you could ever imagine. And then they start a business and they spend 85% of their time doing things other than actually what they got into it for. And the systems they were using are everything from, they might have a website, they might be using a Google form, they're saying DM to order, they're doing Venmo, they've got a legal pad a wall calendar and post-it notes. And as a software entrepreneur, um, I was like, hey, we can do better than that. So that's what we came up with, a food business management platform that is all the tools integrated that you need to start, run, and grow your business. And so we started that business two years ago, um, raised a pre-seed round and subsequently a seed round of funding and are building towards that mission. Cool, cool, awesome. Well, congrats on raising the money. I, you know, I know that it's, not an easy time. So that's an impressive feat, you know, if you've done that in the last 18 months. Um, but cool. So tell me about like, uh, like your sales process and your go-to-market. What is the aha moment for your customers? Yeah. So we spent a lot of time and energy thinking about how to give value to our customers. Um, give, give, give is what we think about. Um, our customers are small businesses, often solo entrepreneurs who are trying to run a business without coworkers and without resources. So they find we find them frequently through organic search and uh, um, seasoned on top with some paid search and in organic social in communities and learning from each other. So our business, our go-to-market is 100% inbound and 80% organic. So, and that's by creating valuable content resources and events and partnerships with like-minded communities in order to uh, help bring sanity to their lives because they're largely overwhelmed. The aha moment and the pain point is around the complexity of managing multiple systems, feeling overworked, uh, underpaid, under-resourced, underappreciated, and unfortunately, like not successful. Even if they're selling a lot of product and they have strong revenue, they don't feel efficient doing it. So the aha moment is realizing you can ditch six logins in seven systems for one. And there's like this moment of Zen that comes over our customers when they realize, oh, I can track all my expenses and taxes here. I can have payments in e-commerce. I can manage all my inventory here. I can automate marketing sends. I can, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, oh, God. Mm -hmm. moment of zen i like that a lot yeah. um 
That's amazing. And tell me more about the content strategy and why you think that's so effective. Uh, Cause it sounds like you have some really impressive inbound numbers. Yeah. Um, it started, um, I mean, it, it starts with, with understanding the size of the business and the type of customer we, we build for. So our customer, our ideal customer is a year round full-time on and offline seller. So think about somebody who's not just selling um, Easter cookies or meal prepping once or twice. They are doing this year round. They're doing it at farmer's markets. They're doing it online and they are, um, this is their full-time job. It's kind of hard to go outbound to them because they're not sitting at a desk. So um, we had to, and even though we have businesses doing six figures and more, the LTV to CAC has to be something we're really focused on. So in order for this business to be what it needs to be, we need scale and we need efficient CAC on that. So in my experience, and the best way to do that is with an organic content um, and community strategy so that we can scale that um, without having to add SDRs, without having to add salespeople, without having to add that CAC overhead um, to get there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That makes sense. That's that's interesting. And I, you know, I think that I've seen a lot of interesting and at times contrarian takes around which marketing uh, mix actually makes the most sense if your intention is to lower CAC. And at times folks like, you know, they want to point towards areas that necessarily like are low lift and high yield. And, you know, there's, you know, it's unclear how sustainable those are over time. So do you think like, you know, I think that there's also like a, uh, a network effect of community and necessarily like the Lindy effect there as well. So tell me more about like why, like how the community works and, and what you've been able to do to like uh, establish that and get compound interest from it. Yeah. So um, I'll start with our SEO strategy because that was really that was really the first thing that we did. The first hire that I made was an amazing content marketer who's now a direct, uh, director of our growth team. And um, that number of organic traffic goes up every single month. It continues to build on itself. So there is a compounding effect of traffic that we've gotten from the very first investment that we made two years ago. And that continues to this day. The community strategy is about trying to find it, what we what we found is passionate advocates and ambassadors for the business who love the product and love the platform who are starting to advocate on our behalf. We have we are about to launch a referral program, which we think could be pretty exciting considering the nature of our customer base. But it's if you if you approach your leads and your customers with the intent to help them and give them value. It is my experience of 25 years of building these kinds of businesses that you're going to get that back 10x. So the compounding interest is you get somebody you see um, who loves your product, who appreciates the customer service, who appreciates the value, who appreciates the sales touch, even if it's over email or via um, a really specific piece of content or a community event that we run on how to build better Instagram profiles. They appreciate it so much that they tell somebody else about it. And you'll get that back and they'll tell two people about it or five or 10. Um, and that shows up in your acquisition numbers, but it also shows up in your retention and your LTV for those customers. So mm -hmm. we are obsessed with um, having people feel as if they're getting a deep one-to-one -to -one touch that 
is in fact an inbound motion. We don't have any salespeople. We don't have any SDRs. It is all self-service. So how it shows up in those touches is really important. Mm -hmm. Wow. I also find that, you know, if your strategy is content, like this might be very obvious to you, but is not like something I see everywhere. It's like, if you're one of your bigger marketing strategies from an inbound organic standpoint is content. There is no better way to create content than to build a community because you get the user generated content of the community that is SEO, that is, you know, accessible answers, questions that people actually have inherently, yeah. you know, engages your client base, all these things. So it's just like, I don't know, I find that there's like a lot of noise about community and maybe it's hard for entrepreneurs to separate the signal from the noise, but to the same extent, it's just like, that is necessarily how you leverage a content strategy. And um, especially from, at least from a distribution standpoint, um, but to change gears a little bit, uh, you know, in, in researching your background for this podcast, saw you were, you know, at the helm at Bitly for a while, really, you know, I think everyone knows Bitly. And if you don't, it's a, one of the first URL shorteners, really innovative product. Um, curious how uh, that experience, you know, uh, leading, you know, a big tech organization informs what you do today. And also would love to understand how you went from uh, URL shorteners to cast iron to the, to the food space as well. Yeah. So, um, I mean, my six and a half years at Bitly were amazing. The team there is incredible. The product is world-class. Um, the partners and investors we had when I was there were amazing. So it was a joy, joy to work there. And I use the product every day today still. Um, CSTRN.me is our short, our branded short domain at Cast Iron. Um, the, there, I, the, I learned a lot at, at, at Bitly that shows up at Cast Iron um, in, our, in our business and go to market. So we had massive inbound demand at Bitly, and I'm sure they still do three years later. And so that was always about finding the right leads in a free product. Um, and how to upgrade and create value. So listening to your customers, studying the data, understanding what's working, where they're getting stuck, where you can put hooks in to, to, to grow the business. Um, so that was super important. Um, and I, I mean, I love, there's probably not a lot of people in the world who love URL shortening more than I do, right? It's probably a very small number of people who've worked on that kind of business for as long as I did. And what drove me was my passion for entrepreneurship and helping uh, people be successful. So um, other than other than Bitly, I spent a, a fair amount of time um, building and selling to small businesses and particularly local businesses. So I spent as much time building in local and hyper-local for small businesses as I have in link shortening. So this is sort of a combination of, of that experience, uh, understanding how important small businesses are to our economy and how hard it is for them to be successful with the efficient go-to-market motion that we learned and in, in, in built at Bitly. So, mm -hmm. and I love cookies. I love cookies. I grant, like buying every cookie. What percent of the MRRs is cookie-based? If you had to do like an attribution per culinary, you know, technique. I would say baked goods are probably 50%. I mean, baked goods, if you think about small businesses, like real small businesses like ours, baked goods are safe and pretty prevalent. And you buy baked goods, whether cookies or sourdough 
or fresh baguettes, like on a pretty regular basis. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Why is that? Is that because, okay, it's regular basis. Maybe it's like a relatively low cost basis to create those things and the quality is variable, but at the same time, not, you don't have to invest that much capital, uh, whether it be ingredients or money to make it high quality. Yeah. And um, I mean, did you try to make sourdough during the pandemic? Uh, no, I, 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 or pizza. I did Tiger King and I did uh, some banana bread, but I never did sourdough. And, and All right, so banana bread, that, banana yeah. bread counts too. Also, yeah. the there's there's complexity to um, the regulations uh, state by state in the U.S. and it's different um, internationally to what kinds of foods you can get your home kitchen license to make. So um, pretty pretty um, the least common denominator are baked goods. So just about every single state. I think actually all 50 states allow you to, if you have the appropriate licensing and um, accreditation to make and sell baked goods out of your home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I talked to an entrepreneur not that long ago, maybe nine months, and she was trying to build, which I'm sure you've heard of in, in various forms, like the DoorDash of home-cooked food, where you yeah. like you know that you're really good at making a dish or a number of dishes and you want to be able to sell it and get couriers and all that. It seems from a regulatory standpoint sort of impossible. I, I don't know if you've come across that idea as as you know as a as a non sequitur. Yeah, it, I mean it's it's not a non sequitur, it's super relevant. The um it's a different business than what we're building. I don't know that one day we won't have um have that on our roadmap, but we are a B2B company. So I think the complexity of building like an ERP for small businesses in the food space are myriad. Adding on a consumer go-to-market and the supply and demand, both sides of that, um, raises the complexity. It's like the degree of difficulty goes up 10x um, at least. So, and to your point, the, the regulatory stuff and also the competitive nature of CAC on that business, if you, you're competing with DoorDash. You're competing with Uber Eats. Mm -hmm. You're competing with Seamless and Grubhub. You're actually competing with them for customers. It's just different business, like a really hard one. Right now, I don't think it's a good business to build. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so you've raised some money. It sounds like you're growing well with the organic. What's next uh, for Cast Iron? And you know what is maybe a potential bottleneck for your growth that you're looking to overcome in the near future? Um, we have a really exciting roadmap. We just redid our whole pricing um, and packaging uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we're digesting that and learning a ton about, um, about how, to, how to position and deliver the value that we built to customers in a way that's mutually beneficial and that scales. So I think the, the science and art of operating a business at the seed stage to find the, that traction is something we're, we're obsessed with right now. Um, from a product standpoint, um, I think we will, I'll, I'll say here, we, we're, we're building our point of sale system so that we can support uh, businesses who are selling in real life and offline, um, which is a big part of our customer's business today. So 80% uh, of our current customer bases are selling on and offline, and to date, we only support online. Um, so that's coming, and that should be really interesting for us too, in terms of our growth and then, you know, probably or go to market as well. Mm -hmm. um, awesome, really exciting stuff. Um, 
Cool. Cool. Um, by ways of wrapping up, is there anything else you'd like to promote or any other kind of folks you're looking for? We do at the end of these podcasts, sort of asks and gives. Um, you know, I am always looking for, if you know somebody who is doing, doing this at uh, business, send them our way at castiron.me. Every, if I find that everybody it's, it's most people either have tried this or know somebody or have bought from somebody. Uh, who's trying to do this. So uh, send them my way. Mark at castiron.me will give them white glove treatment. Um, and uh, I've been building software companies for 25 years here. So my um, my give is anybody who wants to talk about go to market, wants to talk about early stage, um, all the way up to you know larger stage stuff. I'm happy to provide content uh, or support to any entrepreneurs I can. I love doing it. Awesome. Very, very kind offer. Well, thank you so much for hopping on. This was great. Love that I was able to ask about the the new venture in Bitly, which I find is a fascinating business. Sounds like a really exciting time at Cast Iron and, and wishing you all the luck and I'll be following along. Thanks so much, Grant. Pleasure to speak with you.